that time once again for the Integrateness Podcast with Jason and Jolene. I'm Jason. She's Jolene, that gal over there who you can't see, but she just raised her finger in acknowledgement. Um, Jolene, how's your week been? Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you. Yeah. How, how much wine have you drank this week? I don't do wine. I don't. No? Do wine. You know what, though? You know what I was, was big on? It became my friend this summer. Gin. Oh, I gin is good. Do- yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I dove into gin this year and I've been quite enjoying that. And I don't typically drink during the week. I don't really drink much anymore, um, except for like summertime. It's really associated with summertime for me and being out at the lake or in the sunshine, things like that. But my life is so busy. I, I cannot do that whole like drink a glass of wine and like cook dinner kind of thing. And I don't have much of a social life <laughs> these days. So yeah, it's fairly limited. Does that surprise people here? I mean, I am very open about the amount of uh, cocktails I have enjoyed throughout my years, but I would say that it has slowed down more in these last, like definitely since I've had kids for sure. And then just through my own uh, my own journey, which we'll talk a little bit about that, like the evolution of substances throughout our lives. How about you? How many uh, cocktails have you had? Oh, I think I average a couple a day if I if I broke it down. And I've talked about this a lot too. And I have no shame in putting even up on social media. I'm one of the I like to have a couple drinks at night while watching a movie or TV and then winding down to go to bed. Um, I used to be a party animal well <laughs> into my 30s, like well into my 30s. And it wasn't unusual to take down, especially when I was a journalist. Um, journalists are notoriously hard drinkers, really. Especially if you're a crime reporter, it becomes a coping mechanism, which I mean, we'll talk about dependence um, behavior here, but it would be a way to, because you'd be ramped up from working all day and having to meet all these deadlines. And then it was quite often the topics I was writing about were horrible and you, you saw dead bodies and you did stuff. So it was a really effective, at least at the time, way to come down off of that, especially at the end of the week. Like my work week ended on a Thursday. So that was my Friday. And in order to just reset myself, I'd watch a couple movies and I don't know how many, like, you know, I'd start with like, you know, rum and Cokes and work it back to beer to end the night. And I don't know how many I'd take down in an evening then. So, um, yeah, then I was a daily drinker and it was, it was not like light drinking. <laughs> it was, you know, quite serious alcohol consumption for sure until that career ended actually. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I want people to start thinking about like, as, as we're going to be tossing out a lot of info today and a lot of different scenarios and the spectrum of use, like there is a massive continuum, a big spectrum of use. And like when that's, you know, experimental use. And I used to do a lot of work. I did a bunch of training and substance use uh, in the substance use field and stuff. So we used to go through all of the logistics of this. Right. But I mean, you could look at your own life and think about experimental use. When did you first start? What was it? And, you know, um, what were your drugs of choice, that kind of thing, right? For me, it was always alcohol. You know, I had like my hand in, in weed back in the day and it was never really my thing. I just would get kind of paranoid on it. Um, and then even in these uh, like later years here, I've had a lot of clients talk about, you know, using gummies to fall asleep or different, um, you know, ways to use pot. And, uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, tried the gummy thing not that long ago and was like, meh, still not my thing. Right. Um, but I was interested cause I really, that was when I was doing all my sleep, my, my sleep meditation stuff. Cause I was like, I want to see what does it do? And it just really fucked up the deep sleep cycle. Um, it, uh, yeah, I didn't really like, um, what it, what it impacted there, but for some people that has become like a really great way to guarantee a good night's sleep and things like that. 
But, you know, when we look at the spectrum of use, you know, when has it been quite frequent, you know, and as a coping mechanism for me, most of my alcohol use was very socially based. I didn't do a ton of it by myself. Um, Like I said, I wasn't really the like, have to have my glass of wine at night kind of thing. Probably back when I was socializing lots, maybe I was socializing every night and I did, right? Um, but like what things are it associated with, like I used to be a smoker as well. Um, so that was like another substance I relied on, uh, quite a bit back in the day and different things like that. You know, there was lots of different experimental type, um, substances. And then now, you know, there's so much discussion around things like microdosing, um, using psilocybin and mushrooms and things like that. And, for me, I come from a substance use background. Like I saw people in the depths of their addiction. And I'll tell you, it's a bit of a buzzkill because here I am, you know, I remember I started in that field at 23 and we had these like annual party camping trips where, you know, we would like <laughs> camp on the beach with boats and stuff for like six days and just like drink morning to night kind of thing. But there was always like a mushroom night where a big group of my friends would do mushrooms one night and I could not partake me and this one other friend just couldn't do it. And for me, it was because I was like, I work with like homeless psychotic people. Like I I just can't do this. It's so morally conflicting. I'll probably just have a bad trip and waste my time here. Like I'll stick with the demon that I know, which is like all of my booze. Right. Um, So it was really interesting in how my career and witnessing people in the depths of that really shifted my perception of this like all or nothing of substance use in some ways too. And I had already gone through a lot of my experimental phases and knew like, Ooh, I like that one too much. I better stay away from it. Right. And we're all one bad decision away from being that person. Right. Um, I remember one of my colleagues back in the addictions field would always say that like he would have some of his schoolmates in his, um, in his uh, day programs, you know, after losing everything in their lives. Right. And they're like, like, why are you on the other side of this? And he's like, Hey, we're all one bad decision away. And we don't know when that is or who that is, right? We know so many people whose lives, you know, with access to some substances lately, like fentanyl and things like that, they're just like big warm hugs to some of our abandonment um, and attachment type wounds in all of our relational damage that those are like stealing people's lives. They are stealing fathers and mothers from families. You know, I've lost quite a few friends in high school that I, you know, had like the Instagram family pictures and you're like, are you kidding? He's like addicted and living down on the, like on, on these tastings now, like things like that. It, it really is, is quite, um, uh, I don't want to say humbling. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but a bit of an eye opener in terms of like, none of us none of us are truly protected from this right we never know no you don't and it can it it takes one bad turn in life one like i didn't even really start um drinking i never partied in high school like i just wasn't interested my friends and i did other stuff yeah you'd have to hang out with people to do that jason and you hated people (laughs) and i hated people and that's exactly right so at least i had the group of people i knew that we, we didn't do anything dumb where someone would start getting into a fight or you know i remember there's one incident at a party up in batch where one of the guys got drunk got mad got in his car and drove it through the fire and through all the crowd of teenagers you know what i mean like they're just that, that was kind the of best stuff. part that was the best part of those parties <laughs> not getting run over by a car though <laughs> like um but it, once my my father passed away then yeah i did that that's kind of when it started for me i'd have the odd casual drink but nothing until that happened and so you can just see how certain life events will take you down a certain path right and then you take a jo- add in like a job where there's that kind of trauma on a, or vicarious trauma on a regular basis and it doesn't take much but i realized early on that cocaine was awesome and so i've done it once and never ever ever done it again because that's just 
that to me that would be the I would just be I'd be done I'd that, be broke I'd be on the street it would be over for sure and that's really funny you say that that was the one that I referenced where I was like oh I like that one too much I better stay away from it for sure yeah um you know we always talk about going from like the basement to the penthouse in 20 seconds right I mean that's <laughs> that's some of, some, some of the impact and again like a lot of those drugs are like even more so nowadays, right? Once you add crystal meth onto the mix, you know, when that became kind of a big drug of choice because you went from the basement to the penthouse in a blink of an eye, right? Yeah. Um, things like that. So recognizing when we don't have enough protective factors in our lives, right? But this is where it becomes a bit of a bit of an interesting juggle because like societally wise, we have really normalized that whole like moms need wine and all of that. Just like you opened with how much wine did you drink this week, right? Um, we've really normalized that. And there are so many women that I work with and we can look around and like we got all these closet drinkers like desperately coping and then feeling like shit the next day. And then in this cycle, right? Um, of, of chaos, because again, and I say moms, because there is a lot of this like mental demand and overstimulation and needing to like totally numb out at the end of a night um, just to kind of manage and cope. But it's so normalized and glamorized even, right? Like societally, we've really kind of glamorized that. So now, you know, I really love when people are speaking out about sobriety and about what it's been like. There's there's quite a few um, public figures that that you'll see that are talking a bit more about sobriety. I can think of some people in town that are in some public positions that are like, yeah, we just like stopped drinking for a year. And this is how our relationship changed. This is how my life has changed. My health has changed. Like we didn't do it because it was problematic, but we were curious enough that we like did it to see, you know, and sometimes it's really great to do it that Way because when we have to commit to abstinence for the rest of our life, that's a crapshoot. Like that's really hard to do. But if it's like, just like when people do elimination diets and oh, I'm going to cut out, you know, like I'm going to do my best to cut out sugar. I'm going to do my best to cut out carbs for a little while until I get things on track, you know, doing the same thing with alcohol. We talk about sober September. We talk about new year's resolutions in January, things like that. And it is a really great time to get back and reflect, like, why do I grab for this in what capacity um, you know, does my life allow for that? Like, am I hiding this from people? You know, all of a sudden we get into some of these kinds of things where we're like, oh, I'll have a drink before my partner gets home. Um, you know, I've talked to some people who are like, that's when I realized it was getting bad because I was hiding my first couple of drinks so that they wouldn't judge how many I had had things like that. We're all like very accountable for our actions. We're very aware of them. Right. So sometimes it's a good time to just kind of reflect on that. And, you know, what purpose do we use it for? Is it socially? Is it, um, you know, and do we look for more social um, situations so we can justify the drink and things like that, right? It's very interesting once we start looking at the why and then how is it impacting you? So again, when people tell me they use alcohol for sleep, it always makes me um, curious about what the rest in, of their sleep looks like in the course of their sleep, because it might help you fall asleep by getting you into that relaxed state. Go back and listen to our sleep podcast episode if uh, you're interested in all of those pieces, but it might get your body into a relaxed state initially. But what happens is our body's always in this state of equilibrium. So when, when the depressant, which is the um, central nervous system effect of alcohol, it's a depressant. When that enters our system, our body has like this boomerang response, which is almost like re releasing like an adrenaline to counter that. So it brings us back to a state of balance. But that response lasts longer time frame wise than the depressant response. So this is called the rebound effect. So let's say the depressant effect of the alcohol lasts for two hours. The rebound effect, which is that like revved up um, response that your body gives, that lasts for four hours. At the two hour mark, you're no longer going to be sedated, but you're going to have this two hours left over of this revved up response in your body, which is often why people 
for myself, if I have like six or more, I'm okay for the night because I have enough of the depressant effect in there. But if I have three drinks, I've got, I'm sure there's an insulin spike there around sugars and stuff, but essentially that depressant effect, I wake up around one 30 or two and I'm wired because I just didn't have, like, I didn't knock out good enough. Right. And I just have this like really broken sleep from that one or two o'clock part uh, point on. Right. So usually when I tell people that they're like, oh, that happens to me. And it's when they'll have a couple of glasses. Right. Um, so yeah, just something to think about there in terms of like, how is this impacting things for myself? Um, and then again, a lot of people, um, like when you think about the caloric intake and when people are trying to be careful around their nutrition and trying to lose weight, which we're always trying to do in this society, it's like, yeah, you know what? That's like, you're looking at like 150 calories a drink typically, right? If, yeah, I, I really paid attention to the, especially the caloric intake you know, as I've gotten older. So when I have, you know, any booze at night, it's like, I have a whiskey, which is one of the lowest calorie intakes you can have and low sugar. What's, what's your choice brand? I have a whole bunch. I like, (laughs) so I have that. It's like an art form, right? Like it is, it's it's probably, you could, it's almost like you're collecting it because you, you sample different kinds. You find the ones you like, you try new ones. There's so many different varieties now. Um, And then for beer, all I drink is actually Molson ultra which is 70 carbs or calories and only 3% alcohol per volume. So if you have two of those, it's equivalent really of one beer, regular beer. Yeah. I feel like that's such a waste. <laughs> I know, but it's what works, right? Because if I have the other stuff, then I get hit harder by the, like I wake up feeling crappy. You if I only have like a couple regular beer. I'm, I'm screwed. I and know. if I go to like a brew pub and have that beer, like one of those beers, the alcohol content and that, well, I'm humble. I, it's like, my wife's got to drive. Cause I'm like, I'm done. Well, Yeah. So that's the thing. It depends on like how you're using it. So I say it's kind of a waste because it's like, what are you using it for? So I remember when I had kids and I would have room for like kind of one drink in my day and it would be that afternoon, like it's sunny out. It's like two to three o'clock. I can like maybe sit and enjoy a drink. I decided to go for like a good craft beer because I'd get a better buzz for one drink (laughs) and it tasted good. And I actually like to try the different flavors and it allowed me. However, if I was like going out with friends or whatever, it'd probably be like a 12 pack of butter or something because it was more for like a different purpose at that point. Right. Yeah. So it's super interesting, you know, how you're utilizing it and, and the difference between what effect do you want? Right. Like when you drink whiskey, it's different than when you're drinking beer, you know? Yeah. And I do it for the, I, the sheer, like now, I mean, I'm sure there's a bit of a dependency for having it at night, but for the, for the sheer enjoyment, I like the taste of it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Like it's, you know, if, if they suddenly decided they were not going to make booze with alcohol in it, and the, the, which alters the taste, I probably would just quit altogether. Cause it's like, there's to me, then it's a pointless exercise. I like the taste of it. I don't even drink enough where I'm feeling even tipsy. Yeah. Conditioned responses too. Right. So we think about Pavlov's dogs when he would ring the bell and they'd salivate because they knew food was coming. You do enough of that for you. It's an associated with an experience for you. It's an experience. Cause you go aside, you have like a cigar and stuff. Do you like yeah. sit in your face usually? Yeah. So you've got that really great association. 
for people at home, like think about that. What are your associations? Is there a certain thing that you get to do? Is it because your kids have gone to bed or is it because your wife's no longer nagging at you? Is it because you go into like your space and you're going to, you know, watch a hockey game or whatever that looks like for you, or you get to go outside and have a smoke, whatever. There's other associations we have. And that's where, um, when we like back when I used to do all my substance use training and stuff, we would talk about like how drugs can have a bigger effect when we have an anticipatory response and the environmental conditions that suit that. So if you drop acid and go to a Thanksgiving dinner at grandma's, it's not going to be nearly as trippy as as if you drop acid and go to like a rave or something or like a party somewhere. So again, we have these responses in our environment that can accentuate the effects of um, the substance, right? So there's a way that like physiologically that even impacts you too, in this anticipatory uh, sense. So we have all of these things we anchor into at the end of a week, you know, I was a regular smoker back when I smoked and it was like morning till night did not matter what time of day it was. I had the same craving for the same cigarettes all the time. Right. Um, my friend, one of my friends, she could go all week, not smoke anything. And then on weekends would blast through like three packs. But if you took that weekend away from her, she would have a really hard time, but she was able to withhold the five days in between, as long as she knew that that weekend was coming up and, you know, we'd have drinks in whatever capacity and she'd smoke. So there was always this anticipatory response. So think about that. Like, is it that I make it through the day? Is it that I wait until I have book club on Wednesday nights? And then that's where I'm anticipating it. That's great. Wonderful. What happens if book club isn't there? Are you stressing a little bit? Are you more irritable? Where do you not have that outlet now? Just look at some of those mechanisms. Do you sit at home and like eat a bag of chips instead? Think about some of those things. Cause sometimes people are like, I didn't realize it was offering me what it was offering me. Cause I just wasn't aware of it till it was not there kind of thing. You know, I'm still trying to figure out who would drop acid and go to Thanksgiving dinner at grandma's. <laughs> that to me is a fascinating concept. I would, I would love to meet that no. human being and talk to them about why, like of all the places, you know, Again, like, that would be a bit of a waste. <laughs> it would, that, that would be a bit of a waste. Like, come on, go somewhere, you know, you're like doing ecstasy and sitting in the woods by yourself. Like this is right? the best tree I've ever met. Anyways. Well, you know, when we're <laughs> grounding and we're reconnecting with self, and this is where a lot of like, um, like mushrooms have made a big comeback in terms of healing and looking at trauma healing and modalities and things like that. Actually, there a, a really cool episode if people want to check it out and kind of get like the lowdown on a bit of that. Gwyneth Paltrow has this series called Goop, and I don't watch a lot of TV, but I um sometimes force myself to just to get out of my head a bit. And um there, I, I started watching that goop series of hers. And I think it was the first or second episode. One of them was the Wim Hof method around cold therapy. Um, that's really great. And they're 20 minute episodes where she actually sends her staff to experience these things. And then they report back and they do like a show around it. Um, and it's all around health and wellness and, and just like living a better life kind of thing. So the one um, that they did around trauma healing, I feel like they went somewhere like Bali or something and they had um, like guided trauma healing sessions um, using uh, psilocybin as uh, the conduit for that and it was really cool to watch and then they they talk to like they talk about the science of it right so they talk about why and what it does and how they support the individual and then the people who went through the experience talk about their experience after so um that's like a 20 minute episode if people are interested in kind of checking that out and getting a bit of the lowdown around some of that but um that's where some of that has come in right like I work with some couples who have used um have used it to increase intimacy in their relationship 
relationship, right? When they're each doing their own work and then they're trying to just build a bigger sense of trust and understanding and openness and intimacy with each other. So sometimes they'll do a bit of like a mushroom ceremony um, and create emotional and physical intimacy opportunities there where um, they just are a little less inhibited or maybe holding some of the grudges or the old patterns that they used to hold. And it allows them kind of a new space to do that. So it's been very interesting to kind of do a bit of my own research, but then also witness other people and hear their stories about how they're utilizing that. Because especially in the trauma field, people are very experimental and curious and open on that end of things way more I have found uh, than like seeking out psychotropics like, um, you know, antidepressants and things like that. Um, people are very eager to try alternative methods um, and kind of start doing their own research that way. So yeah, it's been very interesting to, to witness that. And there's certain things like some, some, some um, substances are not addictive, right? So psilocybin and the part of the brain that that impacts is not um, addictive uh, and habit forming in the physical uh, dependency sense. Whereas something like um, cocaine is because it interacts with dopamine, which is a, one of our reward neurotransmitters. Same thing with alcohol. Again, that's a depressant um, and stimulants like coffee, cigarettes, cocaine, those kinds of things are uppers, right? So this is how it impacts your nervous system. But, um, and, and other things you want to be careful about is like, if you're a drinker and you're on sleeping pills, those are like deadly combos, right? That's like Very. the no of everything, right? That's where like one plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals four. They really enhance the effects because it's suppressing your nervous system, which is your heart rate, your breathing, all of those things, right? Um, so yeah, thinking about some of that stuff, like how habit forming, dependent forming is, uh, the substance that I'm using. Right. Um, and weed kind of fits into an interesting category and all of that, cause it's not necessarily habit forming. However, we've messed with the composition of weed so much over the years. It's not like what we used to have in the sixties. So we had higher CBD and lower, lower THC. THC is a psychedelic property in weed. We had much lower, um, THC levels, <clears throat> excuse me in the sixties. And now that we can like hybrid and do all of this, um, we can mess around with that so much. That's why we're getting a lot of psychotic responses when people have too high of THC, because that naturally brings down the CBD, which is cannabinoids and the cannabinoids in the, the plant are the ones that have the calming effect. So that's why there's such a difference between some of the weed that we see now that's way more potent and getting people higher, but also getting people more paranoid, anxious, and psychotic way different than our like free flow and yeah, live in the sixties, love rock and roll, all of that. Right. Because we've totally messed with the principles of the plant. So I tell people, if you're using, if you're using pot of any sorts, like pay attention to what your CBD and THC levels are, um, because that's going to change how it's impacting you. And you might want to play around with that THC level. And a lot of people who use it for like pain and things like that, I'm like, Let's be honest with ourselves. If you're using that high of THC and that often, you're getting high. This is not a pain management issue anymore. Like there is a difference between managing pain and coping and getting high. And let's talk about the benefit of getting high and escaping life right now. So, you know, there's some of those kinds of things, being really honest with yourself about the amount that you're using, the frequency, the consistency, all of those things, right? Just want to get you self-aware because I think sometimes just the more aware we are of it, the more accountable we are when we go to pour that drink, to smoke that joint. Um, and we can just have a way better understanding of like, where is this actually fitting in and influencing my life? 
especially now that like so much of it is socially acceptable now. You know what I mean? And that just makes it, I think, when it think harder for people sometimes to manage because it's like, oh, wow, it's no longer this thing I have to hide. I can do it and everything's fine with it. And they got stores to go buy pot and all this stuff. I think it just, it it creates a problem for people who before maybe were le- more leery yeah. of using or like would hide their use, which I mean, it's good you're not hiding it, but then you're, if you're being open, you're not hiding it and you're yeah. not managing what you're doing. Honestly, and I know so many people who have actually given up alcohol, you know, like I'm, I'm 40. So in that like 35 to 45 range, I know a lot of people who have given up alcohol and it's like socially awkward. People are like, what do you mean? You don't want to drink. And they're like, I don't drink. Why? Why? Yeah. And I'll tell you for me, like a big reason why I don't drink on a regular basis and I'll drink for specific reasons or socializing purposes, or like I said, it's very much associated to like summertime in the lake for me. Um, I feel disconnected. I'm a really spiritual person. I have a lot of um, connection energetic wise, and I go totally dull. I feel it's like someone's turned the light switch off. So if I drink too much, I I lose my connection. I lose that uh, sense. Um, so I, I choose not to, because I prefer this feeling to that feeling, that dull feeling. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And an interesting conversation once again on our show. Um, Leave us your thoughts and comments on like Instagram at our Instagram page, or even here on the app of whichever of choosing that you're listening to us on. There's, we're on many different platforms right now. Um, and Jolene and I are going to be back next week with a whole new topic to discuss. We're going to talk about the weather. <laughs> oh, we are. Yeah, yeah. we are. <laughs> like literally the weather. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Until then, I'm Jason. I'm Jolene. And we'll be back again next week.